What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Check the Kick Podcast. That's the sign. SureDog.com is a website. I'm the host, Devin, and we are here to talk about some fights. Um, Not a lot going on in the news again. Um, And we'll just talk about it real quick. What the hell's going on with UFC 300? Um, Saw a video of John Jones tackling somebody yesterday but he said he wasn't fit for ufc 300 um pretty cool weekend of fights i i think we got the best of the three middleweight fights this past weekend with jack hermanson defeating joe pfeiffer um pretty cool knockout from dan ige this ufc pay-per-view coming up this weekend is freaking awesome ufc 298 is pretty stacked um and we're just going to get straight into it only going to go over two fights from last weekend so I can talk about some of these pay-per-view fights. Um, Jack Hermanson kind of takes Joe Pfeiffer to school, weathers an early storm, and then kind of pitches a shutout for the rest of the three rounds. I would say um, Joe Pfeiffer looked really Joe Pfeiffer looked really good in the first round. Definitely, he hits very hard. Um, but not as hard as Francis Ngannou or Jack Hermanson is the most durable human on the planet. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I like Joe Pfeiffer, but the more time he spends with the mic in his face, the less I personally like him um, just as a character. And he, he's probably not a bad guy, just not my type of fella. Um, you know, yeah, it was his first main event, four fights in the organization. Jack Manson has like 17 fights in the UFC. So definitely a, a, a big uh, a big step up in competition, but a little bit of a sunning moment um, from Jack Hermanson. Again, first round, Joe Pfeiffer was definitely landing some big shots around Jack Hermanson's guard. Jack Hermanson, he's pretty defensively sound. He, he likes to pillar, but also roll with stuff. Um, and you could tell he, he was a little bit shook up. A little bit shook up from Joe's power there in the first round. But after probably with about a minute 30 left in the second, Jack got on the front foot. His jab was firing. He was fainting Joe to the back of the cage and then landing combinations on Joe Pfeiffer. Um, Joe Pfeiffer said the, the calf kick is kind of what really did him in. But it was also that jab. Hermanson's jab was just chef's kiss. Um, he... He's probably the best game planning, most cerebral middleweight. Middleweight. It's middleweight. Um, but Jack Hermanson's a guy that's a great game planner, sticks to a game plan, fights smart, fights well. Um, he, he's not scared to brawl with, you know, he's not scared to get into a brawl with someone. You know, look, look at his fight with Marvin Vittori, stuff like that. But in this fight, he just did everything really well. His jab was really, his jab was really good. His crosses were really good. He fainted Joe Pfeiffer to bits. And then once he backed him up against the cage, he would kick him in the leg and then stick a jab in his face. In the third round, he hit Joe Pfeiffer with a big jab. And, and you could, I mean, Joe almost did the Tony Ferguson, Justin Cage. He like, whoa, that was bad. That hurt. And he, he said he, you know, he, he said he couldn't see out of his left eye, I believe, was where the jab hit. Um just an all-around really, really good performance by Jack Hermanson. And then in the third round, um, you know, I put into the sure dog slack, this sealed the fight for him, but it, it more of, or it stole the fight for him, sorry. And then I was corrected that no, more sealed it. And that's correct. He, you know, that, that third round, Jack went out there and just got on the front foot, kind of convinced Joe, like, hey, we're going to have a, we're going to just brawl in this last round. We're going to have a technical brawl here. And then the second Joe Pfeiffer overextended, beautiful double leg takedown, and then great control, good top pressure. As a fan of MMA and a fan of watching exciting fights, I'm glad that Jack didn't wrestle sooner, but I'm almost certain he probably could have stole the last two rounds of this fight with his wrestling, because by the end of the fifth round, he was raining elbows and big punches and you know, Joe Pfeiffer was all covered up. 
it could just just a, a lesson. This is going to be a big lesson for a guy like Joe. Jack came out, you know, weathered the early storm, showed his good cardio. He, he uses elusive footwork. And Joe did have moments where Joe would press forward and, and get on the front foot. But you in a position like I'm in that's been watching combat sports for as long as I have been and doing shows like this, covering the sport, you can see guys like Joe Pfeiffer, undefeated dudes that usually always have success. And it's usually one way traffic, but a big tell for me in this fight is after that, after that jab landed, Joe Pfeiffer started to want to wrestle. And when a guy like, when a guy like Joe Pfeiffer goes to the, goes to their plan B, you can tell like in his head, he's like, "Uh Oh, I'm not having the success. I thought I was going to have, Uh Oh, I can't get this guy out of here. Well, let me try to out grapple him. And then once that, and then once you start initiating grappling and that doesn't work, there was a beautiful sequence where um, Joe Pfeiffer, I think it was at the end of the third round, Joe Pfeiffer got on a single leg and Jack Hermanson just hit him with like 15 uppercuts and two jump knees um, beautiful mixing uh, of his striking there from Jack. And you could just see, I mean, and Joe Pfeiffer didn't give up. But he kind of, you know, when you go to the corner and, and his corner is telling him, you know, your dad doesn't want you here, blah, blah, blah. You could tell they also kind of ran out of ideas. You know, plan A didn't work. The plan B grappling didn't work. And then plan C was to like really get in this guy's head and try to and try to amp him up. So yeah, Joe, Joe Pfeiffer's a good fighter. Nothing against the kid. Um, he's he's young. He's 27. He's got big power in his hands. He he needs to jab more and throw straight punches. He could have had a lot of success just you know putting less volume out there. He just throws everything so hard. And and why not when you're undefeated and you're wrecking fools? And you're hitting people with your power and they're and they're feeling it, yeah. You're gonna swing for the fences. But once you start getting into the top 15, you know, you're gonna have problems. I think unfortunately, I'm not gonna talk about this fight this weekend, but guys like Roman Kopilov and guys like Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, those dudes are gonna be just like Jack, especially a dude like Anthony Hernandez, who's just in the top 15. Dudes like that don't go away. Um, dudes like Chris Curtis, they don't go away. Um, so he's going to need a little bit of, you know, a, a little bit of retooling, but he has all the tools. He has all the athleticism. He has the power. He comes from a good camp. He's a pretty good, pretty good wrestler. He's got good BJJ. Um, it was as a guy, I'm not old, but I'm not young as a guy that's getting a little bit older myself. That's been watching the sport since I've been watching MMA since. 2004 20 years holy shit um it is nice every once in a while to see the old junkyard dog defend his bone and and not let and not let the young gun you know work him over in, in a sport like MMA where you see these old dogs continuously you know get chin checked and beat up it's nice to you know for to watch the old guys get a victory and Jack's not old, but he, you know, he's, he's definitely an OG in this division. Great call out by Jack Hermanson, by the way, um, Nasruddin Imavov, good call out. I, I think Nasruddin fought a, a pretty lackluster fight the weekend before he, Jack Hermanson did really well against Roman Delize until he got caught in that weird entanglement and got punched out. Um, I think it's a perfect fight. For Jack, he's realistic. He's not looking for rematches. I mean, the dude fought a split decision with Sean Strickland, who was just the UFC champion. Um, and if Jack keeps performing, you know, I was worried about him. He had a long layoff. But once he weathered that early storm, the dude fought a perfect fight. It, it clear 48-47. Going into the fifth round, it, it was anyone's fight. And Jack did everything. It was just a veteran performance. He He... You know, he put a bow on. He put a bow on the fight. Did everything he needed to do. It, it was an incredible fight. Super fun fight. I, I thought this fight was a, a more fun fight than Sean Strickland Drikas Two Plus E, and it was a hell hell of a lot better than Dalidze <laughs> and Imovov. For Joe Pfeiffer, um, 
this isn't a bad loss. He didn't look terrible. He got lumped up. He was in a wheelchair on his social media, you know, getting wheeled through the airport. He's going to be out for a little bit. And, and a guy like him should take a little bit of time off just to retool, rebuild, rest, recoup. Um, but I could see the UFC giving him another co-main event or a third from the top, maybe just like on another Apex card. Um, he needs to heal up, and then he needs to start talking shit to Roman Delize because I think that's a winnable fight for him. And Delize just looked terrible. And, and Delize, in, in my opinion, after last weekend or weekend before last, also I was dead wrong about Delize. I'll say that again. I'll, I'm not ashamed to eat crow. But um, I think Roman Delize is probably his best chance to beat a ranked opponent or maybe someone like a Paul Craig. It's kind of funny how um, guys like Brendan Allen are just kind of almost getting forgotten. Paul Craig is fighting Kyle Bahadio. So maybe, you know, Joe Pfeiffer can fight the winner of that. And then back to Imavov for Hermanson. Imavov does has that have that smoke with Chris Curtis, and I think that's a fight that can always be made, and the UFC would be smart to make that. But I, I don't, you know, Jack beat Chris Curtis. He kind of schooled him. And... I think Imalov is the perfect opponent for Jack. Jack's coming off a big win. If the UFC really, you know, cares about Imalov, why not give him a, another vet? And if I was Hermanson, I would stop. Um, th this is, you know, he got him in a vet, great. But, he, you know, Hermanson was a two-to-one dog. He was kind of brought in here to lose his fight. So I wouldn't be fighting back in the rankings again. I, I won my main event. I freaking, you know, I... I Took the young gun to school. Give me, give me, you know, give me another Apex main event and give me someone at least around me in the rankings. Great win for Jack Hermanson. Joe Pfeiffer will be back. He's still a good fighter. Um, he's not elite yet, but I think he has all the tools to be potentially elite. Moving on to the final fight we're going to talk about from this past UFC Apex card. We got... Danny gave that made real quick work. Um, <laughs> I'm wearing an outcast shirt, so I'm trying to think of something cool to say. I guess the closest thing would be um, bombs over Baghdad because he landed a freaking bomb on Andre Feely. Uh, <laughs> I picked Danny get to win this fight, but I, I, I felt like Feely could have success and, and was, you know, I thought it was like a 60-40 fight. But damn, uh, apparently if Danny Gay's wife is pregnant, you should just not fight him. Ask Gavin Tucker and ask Andre Feely. Feely is a guy that likes to get into the pocket and force you to counter his counter and then try to land that third shot. And guys like Dan Ige, Joe Anderson, Brito, dudes that are just super athletic and that hit very, very fucking hard are going to always be problems for Andre Feely. And that's why Feely is going to, you know, yeah, he just smoked Lucas Almeida in the pocket with a counter. But Dan Ige is a different dude. Dan Ige is way too durable to just be sitting in the pocket with and going tit for tat. And you make one overextension – and it's going to look like this. Danny Gay is going to blast you with an overhand. Um, and Dan Danny Gay is probably the most durable 145er on the roster, probably next to a dude like Ilya Topuria that we're going to talk about. Um, the only time that Dan's ever been buzzed was when he fought Josh Emmett, and that's Josh fucking Emmett, probably the hardest-hitting 145er. Um, I don't think Feely came out with the best approach in this fight, and, and these dudes were training partners. They sparred rounds together. Um, I feel like Ige felt some type of way about Andre being willing to take this fight. But at the end of the day, he said he didn't really want to do that to him or hurt him. Um, it's kind of tough. Both dudes are, you know, one Hawaiian, one's Pacific Islander, you know, just kind of same roots in the same part of the world, all those things. But that follow-up shot from Ige definitely looked like he didn't mind punching Feely. Feely just, I don't understand his game plan. 
in this fight. I, I don't know why he was willing to get into pocket exchanges when he is clearly the better kicker and the longer dude. Where this fight should not have been contested in the in the boxing range at all. Should not have been contested in the pocket. Feely's such a good kicker. He's got very dexterous kicks. Um, you know, he has that fade off that fade off kick that Robert Whitaker likes to throw. He's got good body kicks, good leg kicks. I am surprised that Feely did not just teep kick and body kick and head kick Ige over and over again, then possibly making Ige overextend where he could catch him in the pocket with something. Because Feely's a hard puncher himself. Um, but on rewatch, watching this fight, like it makes total sense how it all happened. Feely just way too willing to stand and bang in the pocket and He's defensively sound, but just not enough to do what he did with Dan Ige. Dan Ige, again, just hits way, way too hard. Um, his post-fight said, hey, my wife's 37 weeks pregnant. She's, she could pop at any moment, so I got to come in here and get my bread. Um, dude made 50K, 50K Ige. And he's a guy that's fought fucking everyone. You go and look at the dude's record. Go to Sherdog.com. Go look at Dan Ige. The dude's fought everyone. He's he, he's been, you know, I don't like to use the term gatekeeper for someone that has skill level and as good as he is. But, you know, he, he's been a gatekeeper to the top. You know, if you want to get that one more fight before a title shot, you have to go through Dan Ige. Ask freaking Josh Emmett. Ask Calvin Cater. He, you know, all those dudes have gone through Dan Ige. Mozart Evlov, the Dan Ige has fought everyone. Um so there's just another notch on his belt. Really good, really good performance from him. You know, I feel bad for Feely because I like a guy like Feely. He's always been fun. He's always fun. Been in the UFC forever. He'll probably retire out of the UFC. I don't I don't see Feely. I mean, I'm not calling for him to retire after this. I'm just saying in general. The dude probably fights in the UFC 10 more times and then, you know, goes away. But there's a big difference between, you know, the Lucas Almeidas and the Dan Iguez of the world. Dan Iguez is an elite top 10 talent. Um, and Feely has been in the rankings before, but not in 2024, unfortunately. He's still young, but he, he's, you know, an OG in the game. Definitely been, he grew up in the UFC. Feely comes from a good camp. So he'll, he'll go back to the drawing board. He's, he's, you know, there's stuff he can work on. Ige, the dudes fought everyone. He should have called out Arnold Allen. Arnold Allen's coming off a couple losses. Um, you know, look good against Evloev, but I think that could be a potentially good fight for Ige with Ige's durability and, and Arnold Allen's willingness to just fucking let him fly in the pocket. I did love his call out though. He called out Diego Lopez. So Ige knows where he's at. He's like, hell, if I'm not going to be a title fighter, um, give me the most fun fights that I can have. He said he wants to, um, fight Diego Lopez at the sphere. That's cool. Fuck it. He said if Diego Lopez gets through Sadiq Youssef. Uh, when you knock someone's head off and then you say something that actually makes sense, I'm here for it. I would have been, if I was Ige, I would have been shooting for the stars. I'd be, you know, looking for an Ar Arnold Allen. But if Diego Lopez beats Sadiq Youssef, fuck it. Uh, look, I'll watch Dan Ige fight anyone. I'll watch Diego Lopez fight anybody. Sign me up for it. Hell yeah. Um, some other good wins over the past week, over this past weekend. Some of the fights were a freaking schlog, hard to get through. Bogdan Guskov looked pretty good. Um, boxing at kicking range against Zach Pauga. That was pretty fun and funny. Max Griffin and Jeremiah Wells was not the fight that I predicted it to be. I did pick Max Griffin to win, won by a hair. Um, uh, Trevin Giles, in typical Trevin Giles fashion, got absolutely obliterated by Carlos Pratas after winning the whole entire fight up until the moment he got blasted. Trevin Giles is a guy that, man, you know, it, it, you look through his record, Drake is plus. He, he, anytime his, Trevin Giles is a guy that as soon as his, he can have all the success in the world, but if his opponents make one strategic change, that's successful. It just ends the fight. It's kind of incredible. Um, he he low-key implodes. Um, Gregory Rodriguez looked really, really awesome in it, and he deserves a ranking. 
Um, get him and get him a top 15 opponent. Him and Joe Pfeiffer would be fucking fireworks. Um, he knocked out Brad Tavares. That was pretty fun. Hadolfo Vieira, quick sub of Armin Petrosian with the dope arm triangle. Decent, decent Apex card. Everybody hates on the Apex, but like I don't mind it. But I did find it really interesting that like the night before the UFC had their power slap, and I tuned in. Um, I don't really care for the whole idea of power slap, but I do like to check their production, like their production quality. How does the event roll? You know, what does it look like? Who's there? Like Tom Brady was there, Travis Scott. They're shouting out all these names. They, they, they're definitely making sure that, you know, they want you to know who's there. And then I saw Jelly Roll at the um, Apex fight night. But they, I mean, the UFC seemed to give a shit more, you know, seemed to give a shit more about that Friday night power slap bullshit than, than actual fights. You know, it's 2024, so it is what it is. As long as they keep giving us pay-per-view cards like this one coming up this weekend, I'm happy. Moving on to the second segment of the show. I think I said I wasn't going to do it, but here I am doing it. What's hot? It's been a while. UFC 300 is not hot, but I'm here to talk about that. Um, UFC seems to kind of be in shambles here. They're scrambling. I don't have hair. I'm bald. I shaved my head. But if they had hair, they're pulling it out because they're stressing. Um, Tom Aspinall said that Alex... Alex Pajeda is not moving up to heavyweight. Uh, John Jones is out there football tackling people, but he's too but he's too injured to fight. John Jones doesn't want to fight Tom Aspinall. Um, they, they, Ariel. I hate mentioning this guy, but here I'll do it. Ariel Hawani. Um, I guess had an interview with somebody and they said that Hamza Chamaya was in, in the talks for um, uh, number one sidebar. I just don't do MMA TMZ. And that's, that's the, uh, I like to talk about fights. I don't like to talk about the drama and the fighters and stuff really. Um, and that's what, that's that show. But anyway, um, yeah, Hamza Chamaev uh, said, no, I'm not fighting during Ramadan. Um, and, and it's more probably because he, he's in cahoots with the warlord and he can't get into the U.S. Um, so they were talking about Hamza and and um, Leon Edwards. It looks like we're probably going to get uh, Bilal Muhammad versus Leon Edwards, which is funny. Um, Dana White was doing a podcast with someone. I don't freaking know. But he's like, yeah, you know, this could all change tomorrow. There's big news coming out about 300. Dude. UFC 300 is like eight weeks away. If you've got something big, you better fucking tell us right now because I I mean, let's go to the divisions. We'll start at women's bantamweight. Um, even if Ronda Rousey were to come back and fight Raquel Pennington, that's not just not worthy of being the UFC 300 main event. Um Valentina Shevchenko maybe fighting Raquel Pennington could be used to sweeten the deal, but that's not happening. Alexa Grasso had some hand injuries. That's not main event worthy. Women's 115. Zhang Wei Li's already on the card. She's either she's co-main or third from the top. Um, heavyweight would be great, but um John Jones don't want to fight Tom Aspinall. And you know, I, I don't who, who's Tom Aspinall gonna fight? Stipe's not fighting Tom Aspinall. Maybe they can do like Aspinall versus Gone, but is that worthy? Um, you move down to 205, you got Alex Pajera. You know, maybe they can throw uh Jamal Hill up versus Pajera, but who knows if I mean, is Hill eating a box of donuts? We don't know. Let's move down to 185. Drikas Duplessis versus Israel Adesanya. That's a big possibility. That's possible. That could happen. Um, even a Sean Strickland rematch would eh, Drikas, it's crazy to say this, but Drikas versus Sean Strickland in a rematch might really be like the saving grace for UFC 300. And so far out of all the matchups I'm talking about, that kind of makes the most sense. Um, you know, Hamza Chamaya versus Drikas, but that ain't happening because Hamza said he's not fighting. Um, and, and it's too bad Usman didn't beat Hamza because that would make sense. Let's move down to 170. Um, yeah, I don't think Leon Edwards 
it's not his fault. It's just his fighting style. It's, I mean, it's him and Bilal. That ain't UFC 300 material. Sorry. 155. It's Ramadan. Islam Mahashev was injured, so he he's not fighting. But that would be, you know, the fight to make. But they've already done. They, they're using 155 already for the B. The biggest fight on the card is Justin Gaethje versus Max Holloway. And that's not 155. Moving down to 145. We got that coming up this weekend at 290 at 298. Topuria versus Volk. Um, maybe if Topuria goes out there and wins in incredible fashion, um, you know, maybe he gets like a one round knockout. Uh, probably unlikely, but maybe he does, and maybe he can get some quick turnaround and be, you know, he's a huge star, by the way, Topuria, and this isn't something I was able to mention on the breakdown, but Topuria is a huge star rolling with, like, celebrities from Spain and stuff like that, so maybe. Um, Sean O'Malley is fighting Marlon in Miami at 299, so that ain't happening, and then you got 125, where... Pantoja love him to death, but um, that's that's not UFC 300 material. So now we're really just you know grasping at straws here. I don't know what the UFC is going to do. You know, Brock Lesnar is involved with that Vince McMahon shit. That ain't happening. Um, it, it's crazy because like we're left with Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler. Maybe Nate Diaz comes back and fights like Michael Chandler or something. I don't know. Um, maybe they do like uh, Jorge Masvidal is, is fighting Nate Diaz in boxing. Though. I think that's kind of being forgotten about, but that's already been signed, supposedly. So I don't know. I don't know what the UFC is. I, I, I have no ideas. I, I truly don't. Um, and that's what I'm here to talk to you guys about because I'm, I'm as confused as the UFC probably is. Let me know in the comments what you guys think the UFC 300 main event should be. Let me know if it should just be Gaethje versus Holloway, which would be fine. You know, that that's going to be a hell of a fight. But, yeah, we're down to the wire here. I think we're like eight, nine weeks out. So to get a fight booked, get a training camp in, you kind of have to start thinking it's going to be like heavyweight. Just based off of like what, what, what light heavyweights are, are going to, you know, have a training camp and make weight in a matter of eight weeks. Also, not to mention, you know, Yuri is booked, Rakic is booked. Who knows where the hell Jan Blahovich is? Maybe they pull Jan Blahovich in to fight Alex Pajera. But he was injured too. DC ain't coming back. Let me know what you guys think in the comments below. Moving on to a fight and a fighter in particular that has had a lot of headlines surrounding him lately. And this fighter has also removed the comment section on his Instagram account. We have Ian Machado Gary taking on Jeff Neal. I'm just going to call him Gary. I'm not doing the two name thing. Gary, minus 295 favorite, Jeff Neal. Coming back as a two-to-one dog at plus 200. A little bit disrespectful. A little bit disrespectful. Um, Ian Gary's coming off of a sickness. He's probably sick of hearing Colby Covington and all the people on social media talk shit about him. Um, he's a, a polarizing figure. I'll just say that. And then we got Jeff Neal um, coming in off a, off a semi-long layoff after getting submitted after going to war with Shavkat Rachmanov. And both of these dudes are, are, are good fighters. Jeff Neal is a dude that's proven. He's been in the UFC for a hot minute. Definitely deserves to be here. Um, great fighter, all great fighter all around. He looked really, really good against Shavkat Rachmanov in a loss, in my opinion. I, I, do think he fought well in that fight. It's just Shavkat Rachmanov. The dude is an absolute, the dude is an absolute killer. I, uh, you know, the, the knockout of Vincente Luque, Jeff Neal was the reason why Vincente Luque had those brain bleed issues. The, the split decision went over Santiago Ponzinibbio where he just wasn't really, you know, his volume wasn't there. It was a little bit weird. His loss to Neil Magny was another, weird fight from him because he, he should go and beat the shit out of a dude like Neil Magny. 
he, the loss to Stephen Thompson was a fight that he should not, no one should be ashamed of that loss. He went to war with Stephen Thompson, hung with him and had a great fight with him. And that was back in 2020 when Stephen Thompson was kind of at the, you know, the height of his career, the head kick knockout against Mike Perry. That's impressive. Mike Perry's tough as shit. He knocked out Nico Price. He's really the only dude to kind of take the wind out of Bilal Muhammad's sails, cleanly beat Bilal Muhammad. And he, he's a guy that mechanically, he's a southpaw. Loki has one of the best straight lefts in MMA, not telegraphed, tons of big power. His feet are always placed properly. He, he's just a good, you know, biomechanically, he, he's got good striking skills. Like his boxing is crisp. He's got, he's got everything intact. You know, I don't know if he's waiting tables or not still, but he's definitely too good of a fighter to be waiting tables. I think the dude was like a waiter at Texas Roadhouse or some shit, which is kind of sad, you know, and, and that probably tells you why the UFC is in this big um, legal battle that they're in right now. Um, as for as for uh, Mr. Machado Gary, he's a dude that's coming off of a real impressive you know, real impressive shit kicking of Neil Magny. Prior to that, the, the beautiful head kick over D-Rod was really impressive. He got buzzed and clipped up by Kenan Song, got dropped by Kenan Song, but came back, made the adjustments, even went to his corner and told Henry Hoof, yes, I know I know, I got hurt. I, I you know. For as annoying of a character as Ian Gary can be, he's definitely a pretty cerebral dude and he understands the game. Um He's a guy that he, he came up as a judoka, so he has a good, a pretty decent, you know, grappling game. But he's much more of a range striker. He will pick his shots, but he, he's very good at getting into the pocket, landing his strikes, whether it be leg kicks or his boxing, and then getting out. A little bit hittable that he like he showed in the Kanan Song fight. He he's definitely doesn't have great head movement, but he's definitely not Patty Pimblet hittable. Um, It's kind of a tough thing with these European fighters because they're – I don't want to say they get overhyped, but just based off of where they're from with the fan base and everything, they, they do get a lot of attention. They get a lot of media attention. But, you know, outside of Conor McGregor, who else does Ireland and Europe in general have? You know, outside of Tommy Aspinall, the Europe's they, – they, you know, they got Ian Gary. Yeah, Molly McCann and Patty Pimblett, but you know, they got Ian Gary, and Ian Gary is a good fighter. He got clipped up against Jordan Williams, but you know, that was back in 2021. He is a dude that is making improvements. He's he had been training with Henry Hooft for a hot minute, which is a great coach for someone like him. Henry Hooft is a guy that is going to slowly build you as a fighter, teach you all the technical, you know, teach you all the proper technicalities with the striking Henry Hoof has, has trained everyone. You know, there's guys in that gym, Tyrone Spong dudes that are just high level strikers and, and Henry Hoof's gym is a good place for Ian Gary, but he's been down in Brazil with a shoot box. So he's been, you know, this camp he did down in Brazil, I believe with Charles Oliveira, or at least he finished his camp down in Brazil with Charles Oliveira. Um, so that's another good camp that is going to teach him, you know, definite <laughs> Brazilian Muay Thai front foot striking, I'm going to try to find the best way to say this. I don't think Ian Gary's main issue is his offensive striking, but maybe his defense. And I think um, training at shootbox for an opponent like Jeff Neal might not be the best thing for him. I guess we'll find out on Saturday. Um, X's and O's. Ian Gary's got good footwork. Ian Gary can a jab on Jeff Neal and probably circle the outside of the octagon and win a third round, you know, a, th a three round decision here. But he also will take some risks. Like, look what he did to D-Rod. Stepped in, landed a beautiful head kick, set it up perfectly, even called it before the fight started. And that's impressive. Um, but going to war with Jeff Neal is dangerous. Getting into the, you know, having continuous pocket boxing exchanges with Jeff Neal is a problem. Jeff Neal is a dude that also has good kicks, good leg kicks. He uses leg kicks to set up his hands. I think Jeff Neal could be a problem for someone like Ian Gary. 
Ian Gary's on a roll. He's undefeated. The UFC wants him to win this fight. Something that it's not being talked about enough is, is you know, a couple a couple years ago, Jeff Neal, you know, did get arrested, did have those issues. He also had that major sepsis issue where he got that real bad staph infection and went septic almost and almost died. He had like organ failure issues and shit. Since then, he has seemed to come back. And, and the way he looked last time out against Shavkat Rachmanov, in my opinion, Shavkat Rachmanov is probably the best welterweight on the planet right now. You know, just not holding a belt to prove it to everyone. But... I think I'm going to pick Jeff Neal. And it's it's not to spite Ian Gary. I'm not the biggest Ian Gary fan, but I know he's good. Clearly he's good. But I think Ian Gary just let Neil Magny hang around in a fight way too long. He, he should have finished Neil Magny. And he said, I want to go out there and punish him for all the things he said about, you know, the kids and everything. But I think that's just an excuse for, you know, his inability to finish someone as tough as Jeff. Um, sorry, as tough as Neil Magny. Kanan Song buzzed Ian Gary. Ian Gary is not the most defensively sound fighter. He's not defensively porous, but, you know, guys like Neil Magny are just not as dangerous as Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal is going to probably come into this fight with a chip on his shoulder. And, and as a two-to-one underdog here, I, I guarantee you, I'm recording this on Monday, February 12th. I guarantee by Friday night that the odds are even going to swell more and more into Gary's favor just because Gary has a name. But... Jeff Neal had a lot of success against Shavkat Rachmanov, a lot, snapped his head back, you know, definitely, you know, had him seeing stars multiple times in that fight. And I think, I think Neal can win two rounds of this fight just based off damage. Jeff Neal's tough. His straight left, his southpaw straight left is, is just a beautiful punch. It hurts a lot of people. He lands it on almost everyone he fights and, you know, he had tons of success against a slickster like Wonderboy. And all the success he had against Wonderboy, what 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 won Wonderboy that fight was Wonderboy's elusiveness, his tactfulness, his trickiness, and his gameness. And if Ian Gary goes out there and has that same fight with Jeff Neal, I don't think Ian Gary wins it. I don't think Ian Gary is as slick and as defensively sound as Wonderboy. This, this could blow up in my face, but give me Jeff Neal as the underdog here. Two to one dog. Don't disrespect Texas. Don't disrespect Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal's a pick. Plus 200. It's going to blow up in my face. But I'll be here to eat crow if it is. Moving on to the co-main event. We have the Reaper, Robert Whitaker, taking on Paolo Bohachinha, the eraser, Costa. Odds on this fight, Whitaker is a semi-heavy favorite, minus 205. Cost is coming in as a plus 170 dog here. Um, both of these guys, Cost is coming off of a uh, pretty long layoff. Last time he fought was against Luke Rockhold, where he won a semi-close fight. That was back in August of 22, so it's been about 18 months since, he, since he's been in the cage throwing down. He was matched up against Hamzat Shemaev, however, had to pull out last minute due to a pretty gnarly staph infection. Um, he seems to be in really good shape for this fight. It's fucking Paulo Costa. Dude's always in shape. He, he's, you know, <laughs> they call him the eraser, but they should call him the model. Robert Whitaker, his last fight was July 8th of 23. So, yeah, not too long ago, six, seven months ago, uh, where he lost via TKO knockout from uh, the current champion, Drikas Duplessis. I've watched that fight like five times. And I just am more impressed by Drikas' performance in that fight every time. Um, his grappling in that first round, his ability to take Whitaker down, slice through his guard, land ground and pound, clip him up, and then kind of just walk him down, blast him against the cage, and then crush him with a body shot that caused him to just keel over. Um, prior to that, he did beat Marvin Vittori, where he just got on his jab, got on his bike, and schooled Marvin Vittori. Really close fight with Israel Adesanya in their second fight where he got buzzed in the first round right away and then, you know, kind of went out there and had a slow-paced grappling match where he lost. 
Before that, he, he schooled Kelvin Gastelum. And then he had a close fight with Jared Cannonier where Jared Cannonier Jared blocked a kick, broke his arm, and still almost finished Whitaker in the third round. Um, he got clipped, dropped by an elbow from Darren Till in the, in, back in 2020 against freaking Darren Till. Paulo Costa, on the other hand, this dude, <laughs> prior to his win against <laughs> Luke Rockhold, was the uh, Marvin Vittori debacle where he told Vittori, hey, we're not fighting at 185. This is going to be at 205. And he just came in fucking huge and kicked Vittori to bits. But Marvin Vittori is literally just made out of brick. Um, and then before that, he got knocked out by Israel Adesanya. Had a brawl with Yoel Romero and I thought lost to Yoel Romero, but it was still a very, very, very close fight. The finish of Uriah Hall was pretty impressive. Yeah, he knocked out Johnny Hendricks, whatever. And Olawale Bamboze, I don't, yeah, that was in 2017. I don't even care about that fight because I don't even do tape study on it because I don't think it matters for this fight. Um, Robert Whitaker is better at everything. Probably only thing he lacks on, he lacks, you know, not as good at Costa. It's probably the power. Um, sorry, I'm getting tongue twisted. Um, but I think Robert Whitaker is just generally better at MMA. He just mixes the martial arts better. He's probably a better wrestler, better takedowns, with better entries. Maybe Costa's a little bit heavier with better ground and pound on top. You know, he showed to have some good top control against Luke Rockhold. Um, definitely much more of a slick striker. But Costa definitely, like those body kicks he landed on Vittori, you know, This fight here, I think it's just really about Robert Whitaker's durability. I think Robert Whitaker's biggest problem is his over-willingness to just hang in the pocket with dudes where he, he will, you know, he's always trying to get one back, and that has caused him to get hurt. He gets hurt in every single fight he's been in. Robert Whitaker, you go through his record. The dudes fought everyone. But he's also been hurt by everyone. Every single person he's fought. Dreeks Duplessis knocked him out. Marvin Vittori's a dude that didn't hurt him. Israel Adesanya hurt him in their rematch, dropped him in the first round. Kelvin Gastelum couldn't find him. Jared Cannonier hurt him bad. Darren Till hurt him with a step and elbow. Israel Adesanya knocked him out in their first fight. Yoel Romero, those two fights were freaking wars. But really, ever since Yoel, like the dude's been hurt in a lot of fights, even fights he wins, he still gets clipped up and buzzed. Um, and, you know, if Paulo Costa just wasn't such a shady dude with his crazy Twitter antics, I just don't know how serious of a fighter Paulo Costa really is. The dude fights once a year, which is, he's only like 32, but it, fighting once a year, you, you know, it's the, I'm sure everyone here has been in a car driving past someone on a bike and you almost just like wave at them like, hey, you know, you guys might have the same destination, but the dude in the car is just getting there way faster. And his, him fighting once a year, he's the dude on the bike. Like he's just getting past and he's popular enough. He has a big enough name where he should be fighting three times a year. It's middleweight. Like, you know, yes, with the win over Robert Whitaker, he will probably fight for a title if he does win this fight. Um, however unlikely you may think that is. I think... Robert Whitaker needs this is a three round fight, which benefits Robert Whitaker, in my opinion, just because he has better footwork, a better jab, and he's a lot slicker. Where if, if he has the Kelvin Gastelum fight or he has the Marvin Vittori fight where he just gets on his back foot, sticks a jab in his face, causes Costa to overswing and, you know, just out slicks him, he can win this fight. But if he starts trying to go tit for tat with Paulo Costa, Holocaust is pretty fucking durable. Yeah, he got finished. Yeah, he got finished by Israel Adesanya, but, you know, he, he's, like, went to war with Vittori, has had, went to war with Yoel Romero. I think out of the two, I, I'd, I'd say today, Costa's probably a little bit more durable, especially the way that Whitaker got finished last time around. If Whitaker welcomes a brawl with Costa or starts taking the back foot and shells up against the cage. That's where Costa does his best damage. He loves to punch the body. He's a really good kicker, great dexterity with the kicks, good body kicks, will hammer kicks into people. Um, and I could see 
the finishing sequence of the Drikas Duplessis fight is something that Paulo Costa is capable of doing to people. I could see him landing tons of body kicks on Whitaker, causing Whitaker to take the back foot and then just, you know, unleashing a hellish combination with his hands against the cage and just making Robert Whitaker wilt. But Whitaker's a dude that said, you know, post fight after the Duplessis fight, you know, I didn't take the dude serious enough. Hopefully that's a lesson. Um, because a dude like Costa is dangerous, has big power. He's huge. He's durable. He will walk you down. He will let his hands go. I just also don't know how serious Paulo Costa is about fighting anymore. Um, so I have to take Robert Whitaker. I have to take the Reaper here. He's just too slick and too technical. But if he goes out there and, and, and he plays that game of let's be in the pocket and let me try to get one back because you caught me, you know, it could be lights out for him just because I, I don't, you know, he has been durable before. But you start watching the tape, you start looking at how many times the dude's been hurt, and Robert Whitaker gets hurt a lot. Um, and someone that's as dynamic and powerful as Costa is, is capable of hurting any middleweight on the roster. But give me Robert Whitaker to stick a jab in his face, get on the back foot, make Paulo Costa walk him down, and, and um, just walk Costa on the big shots. I could see him, you know, he, he's got a. Robert Whitaker's got a good left hook, really good check left hook. His ability to get in and out, his range management so good. Um, his little slick step off to the side and then hide it, hide his head kick behind his punch. I could see him even hurting. I could see him hurting Paulo Costa late in the fight. Um, but if the Paulo Costa that you know fought Marvin Vittori in the fifth round shows up, could be a problem for Whitaker. Whitaker's my pick. Pretty decent favorite. Got to go the Reaper here. And, and this is probably one of the best fights of 2024, in my opinion. We have Alexander Volkanovsky defending his 145-pound title against the undefeated Spaniard by way of the country, Georgia, Ilya Topuria. Odds on this fight are dead pick'em as of February 12th at about 9 p.m. P.T., Alexander Volkanovsky opened up as a favorite, but slowly but surely, money's been coming in on Topuria, and now this fight is a pick -em. Dead even odds. And I think part of that is Volkanovsky absolutely just getting obliterated his last time out against Islam Hashev, just getting head kicked and punched out, which was not very long ago. Um, quick turnaround for a guy that is, you know, one thing that needs to be said about Alexander Volkanovsky is number one, the dude's not afraid to fight anyone. He's a fucking G. He's very, very good. But his strength of schedule and his willingness to take on anyone, you know, the dude has been very, very active. He typically fights twice a year, sometimes three times a year. He fought Islam Mahasha February 11th of 23, where he lost in their first fight. July 8th of 23, came and finished Yair Rodriguez to defend his title. And then October 21st took that Islam Hasha fight on short notice when Charlie Olives pulled out and he got knocked out for it. But the dude is a G, you know, the knockout of Chad Mendez, incredible. The win in 2019 of Jose Aldo, great win. First fight with Max, close. Second fight with Max, I think he lost that fight. And I think a majority of the people. And upon rewatch, I will, especially with the current scoring criteria on MMA, I'd probably give that one to Max, but either way, it's Max Holloway. Um, war with Brian Ortega, where he escaped terrible submissions. The finish of Korean Zombie. Korean Zombie was is in 22. Um, and he was kind of a bad shit kicking. And then he went out there and shit kicked Max real bad. And the third Max Holloway fight, I mean, he beat Max up worse than Dustin Poirier did. And then, you know, we're, we're back to the Islam Mahashev thing. Um, Ilya Topuria. He's 14 and 0. He's 27 years old. The, the kid comes out of a, a camp that not is, is not extremely known, but the second he hopped on hopped in the UFC, he was actually he was going to debut in the UFC against Petrion at Bantamweight, which would have been a hell of a fight, but ended up being Yusuf Zalal. Went out there, beat Yusuf Zalal, suplexed the shit out of him a bunch of times, and then went out there and knocked out Damon Jackson. Decent win. Second fight in the UFC was Honestly, one of his more impressive performances where he knocked out Ryan Hall, a tricky BJJ leg entanglement dude, where he actually welcomed him onto the ground, picked the spots, busted him up, 
knocked him out, took a short notice fight against Jai Herbert, up a weight class, got head kicked. Uh, I mean, every if you're listening to this, you've seen the head kick. Got basically knocked out, but he's so fucking tough. Came back and, I mean, someone go check on Jai Herbert because the dude might still be asleep. The sh- absolute shit kicking of Bryce Mitchell, where he had Bryce Mitchell like wanting to retire from MMA. And then the scorecard is like 50-42. The absolute shit kicking of Josh Emmett, who, by the way, um, just won the 2023 Sure Dog Knockout of the Year for absolutely icing Bryce Mitchell himself. Um, so, yes, he has not taken on the names that Alexander Volkanovsky has, but anyone that's put, been put in front of him has been either, you know, absolutely destroyed and finished or just absolutely destroyed and, and close to a finish multiple times. There was a 10-7 round against Josh Emmett, which means that the fight should have been finished and the ref didn't stop it. Um, X's and O's on this fight. It's it's Alexander Volkanovsky. The dude is probably one of the best MMA fighters to ever exist, point blank, period. Top 10 for sure. Very, very good. Um, great kicks. His fainting game is incredible. Great feints. Great kicks. Great leg kicks. Really good footwork. Good boxing. His ability to switch stance in the pocket. You know, it, it's great. He has good boxing. Good reads. Very, very good technical striker. Good takedowns. Look at the Yair Rodriguez fight. Good takedowns. And he's just one of the most cerebral dudes. He's so, so fucking strong. The dude, like, like actually lifting weights, like bench press, squats, you know, the whole nine. Like, he's probably stronger than half the welterweights on the roster. Like, if this dude were to go out there and bench press more weight than Randy Brown, I would not be surprised at all. He is incredibly strong. Um, and, and one thing, a, a guy like... A guy that looks like Volk, you'd think would be the most durable fighter, but he's actually not. Volk is a dude, you start picking through and you start watching the tape, and he's been clipped up and dropped to a knee and been hurt in a lot of fights. Um, You know, he, he got clipped up and hurt against Chad Mendes, but came back to win that one. In the second Max Holloway fight, Max Holloway dropped him to a knee multiple times. Um Islam Mahashev in their first fight rang his bell. Everybody only remembers the fifth round of the Islam Mahashev fight, the first fight, but it was a clean, very go go watch the tape. I mean, non-biased. Islam Mahashev clearly won their first fight. There's no, I don't think there's any anything to be said about it. But Islam had a lot of success striking with Volk in their first fight. And then obviously the, the second fight, you know, Islam Mahashev head kicked them. Beautiful, very impressive performance. But Volk is not the most durable dude. Um, and fighting a guy like Ilya Toporia, not being the most durable guy, being 35 years old, could spell trouble for him. Um, Ilya Toporia, on the other hand, he is not the most defensively sound dude. He looked great. He says he watches a lot of Canelo boxing tape, and you can kind of tell he likes to shoulder roll. He'll say, what I really like, what I like that he does is in boxing exchanges, you know, pop, 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 land his strikes. And then when you throw back at him, he hops out of the pocket and then re-enters. Hops out out of range and then re-enters. He's got good head movement. He'll, he'll shoulder roll. He'll tuck shots. Big power. And incredible shot selection with his boxing. Really, really good body puncher. He's, I mean, if you are against the cage and Ilya Taporia throws a left hook and hits you with a liver shot, you're fine he's coming over the top and, and I mean, go watch his pre UFC tape where he actually got this funny in his pre UFC tape that I don't recall the fighter, but he got head kick and dropped. And then he went out there and finished the dude. Like it's like the equivalent fights to the Jai Herbert fight, which is pretty funny. Um, but Volkanovsky in this fight, he has, he has to get his leg kicks going. I don't, do I think Alexander Volkanovsky is tech, technically sound enough and powerful enough to have the Josh Emmett fight with Ilya Toporia? Yes, I do. I do think he's smart enough. He's got really high fight IQ. But I just don't know if there's anyone at 145 that can just have an inside boxing match in the pocket with Ilya Toporia. Ilya's really durable, really tough. He does not have nearly the miles that Volk has. And he just punches hard. 
He punches. He's the, the flat out next to Josh Emmett. He's the hardest puncher in this division. And he, he's way better at setting up his shots than Josh Emmett. And he's got way more tools than just an overhand right. Um, Ilya's got really good shot selection on the inside, really good vision, a good jab, a good body shot, good straight punches and good hooks, a good overhand. Um, Volkanovsky has to put, has to put Ilya Taporia on the back foot. He cannot... He cannot take the back foot. He cannot get inside that warning track. He can't get against the cage in this fight. He's, and we're not even at the wrestling yet, but Ilya Taporia is an extremely high-level grappler. Really good submissions, really strong. Look what he did to Bryce Mitchell. Not many do just go out there and out-wrestle Bryce Mitchell. Oh, also he knocked out Ryan Hall, who is like a multiple world-time BJJ champion and BJJ coach. Um I would not be surprised if Ilya Topuria. Ilya Topuria has a different game than Mahashev. Mahashev's grappling game is much more of a lock you down, you know, more surgical. Where Topuria is technical, but he's also just a brute down there. Um, extremely, both of these dudes are extreme athletes. They're both fast. They both have good footwork. Um, Topuria off the back foot, we haven't seen that too much. Um, and I think that's Volkanovsky's key to success in this fight is leg kicks, leg kicks, leg kicks, faint, 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 and just really, really, you know, shuffle the deck and scramble Ilya Topuria. And that's what Volkanovsky does great. He uses his kicks to set up his boxing. He'll throw a leg kick, switch stance. You know, he has that shuffle switch that, like, he, he does really well, like what Jorge Masvidal did to Darren Till that shuffle switch stance and then, you know, switch the power hand to come over the top or switch the power hand. He'll, he'll jab, 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 switch, throw a leg kick, and then throw a cross behind it from the other, from the up, from the opposite stance. Um, but he just can't meet Toporia in the middle and box with him. And he may be stronger and a little bit bigger than Toporia, but wrestling, I, I mean, Toporia is a dude that if he buzzes you on the feet, and follows you to the ground, you're getting strangled. Um, I Alexander Volkanovsky is a dude that is is you know we we talked about a, a great game planner and Jack Hermanson earlier in the show, and Alexander Volkanovsky may be you know next to Habib and Islam, probably one of the best game planners, and John Jones, like he's that level of game planner. Great camp. Um, I think Ilya Topuria might knock out Alexander Volkanovsky here. I'm just getting straight to it. Um, I just don't like... He's 35. And, and if anybody can defeat the stupid 35-year-old thing with the, you know, Tyron Woodley being the only one that defended his belt or fought for a belt and won at 170 and down. Yeah, we're not counting women's bantamweight with Raquel Pennington earlier in the year. Um, we're not talking about that. Women's bantamweight, it, it does, it's not applicable for this. Um, but I just think Ilya Topuria, I mean, everyone is dunking on him with his confidence. But to be a world champion, you need to have that type of confidence. And if it blows up in his face, he looks like a fucking idiot. And so do I for picking him. But Ilya Topuria is the most dangerous dude that, outside of Islam, that Volk has fought. Max is very tricky, but Max doesn't have that one-shot KO power. Um, Ilya is going to walk Volkanovski down, and he's going to have the same fight he had with Josh Emmett, with Volkanovski. And I, I just, you know... It's not just Taporia's skills, but I think we may see a slight decline with Volk here. You know, he he's there's a lot coming out about the headspace he's been in, and, and you know, and maybe he's you know smiling in our faces, but you know, we don't know where he's at mentally. You know, he came out after the fight saying, "I, you know, I've been drinking every day. I was drinking every day up to the Volk, up to the Islam Mahasha fight, and." You know, without fighting, I don't really have anything else to do. And again, if anybody can defeat this crazy 35-year-old stat thing, it is Alexander Volkanovsky because he is one of the best pound-for-pound -pound fighters in the world today. And he's one of the best fighters, 
in MMA ever, period. He, he's great. Literally, Alexander the Great. He's very, very good. But I, I think you pair the fresh knockout along with Ilya Toporia's just willingness to be in the pocket and have a technical boxing match with people. And if Toporia can check the kicks, close the distance, and make this a boxing match, I think he can. I think he's going to probably hurt Volk at some point. Um, if Alexander Volkanovsky survives the first two rounds of this fight, it could look just like the Jack Hermanson Joe Pfeiffer fight. Only thing is, is, is number one, those are middleweights, and Ilya Topuria is a, is just very, very good. His boxing. Can it's gonna give anyone problems? He could go up to 155 and give those dudes problems, in my opinion, with his boxing and his power. Ilya's improving. He looked incredible against Josh Emmett. He's got really good BJJ. I think we get a club and sub here, um, but I don't think Volk taps. I think he gets clubbed and he gets choked out to sleep, or he gets clubbed and finished against the cage. Volkanovski has shown defensive lapses. If you can get him on the back foot. Um, Look at the Islam Mahashev fight, or just standing in the pocket. And he's shown willingness to stand in the pocket with people. Mahashev, Max Holloway, both had success in the pocket. And if and if Ilya Tapuri is as good as I think he is, I I think he can have very similar success. Um, man, I can't believe I'm picking against Alexander Volkanovsky, especially when I picked him to beat Mahashev in the second fight. But I'm going with Ilya Tapuria, either club and sub or finish. I think he's going to finish Volk here, which is crazy. Um, Ilya Tapuria is my pick. Check the kick podcast, suredog.com. I'm the host, Devin. There's my handle right there. Um, comment. I will engage with you guys. Um, so comment on this. Shoot me a message on social media. That's the handle. Suredog.com is the website. Enjoy the fights, guys.